This is a Dalarna University production. So very welcome to this uh, interview with Professor Veronica Boamansilla from Harvard Graduate School. And uh, our first question is about global education. Could you elaborate a little bit uh, around it, please? Yes. Um, so um, at uh, Project Zero, which is a research institute within the Harvard Graduate School of Education where I work, we have been thinking um, quite carefully about uh, the state of education today, uh, the requirements for the future in, in education, uh, and especially some of the forces, globalization, the digital revolution, what we know about how hum human beings learn and, and sort of the involvement of the brain uh, in, in, in this, um, to try to figure out or to think through um, what the profile of the learner, what kinds of human beings we need to be uh, educating. Within that broad scope, my focus has been on uh, preparing young people for a global, increasingly interconnected um, world. Um, it's not a simple task. You know, we are wired to interact with very small groups of humans. Um, that's our basic biology, so to speak. And so it's part of uh, becoming more civilized to learn uh, to interact with, uh, to organize ourselves in societies that are, um, that are more complex. And now we face uh, an entirely new challenge, which is um, to organize ourselves around, uh, in a system that touches uh, upon everybody uh, in the world. Of course, there were many waves of globalization in the history of humankind, but the special quality of the globalization period we are experiencing right now is that it is moving very fast, it is digitally mediated, and it's touching so many more people than uh, faces uh, before. So the question becomes, how do we prepare young people for this world? Um, and in our work, we have um, uh, attempted to define the kinds of competencies, the kinds of capacities that uh, young people might need uh, to develop. Um, and we call those uh, global competencies or global consciousness, uh, if you wish. Um, so we think that global competence is the capacity um, and a disposition to understand and act on matters of global significance. So uh, young people, or us, uh, we as adults, are more globally competent uh, when we can uh, understand the relationship between the experiences that we have today, the clothes we wear, the, uh, the new migrant family in our neighborhood, within the broader context of um, integrated economies, of massive migratory movements, that are taking place uh, in societies today. So what exactly is it that we're hoping that kids or young people will learn? Well, we're hoping that they will learn to investigate the world, sort of to uh, figure out sort of questions of significance, uh, questions about climate change, uh, questions about inequality, questions about human dignity here and there. Uh, questions about economic interdependence, um, questions about sustainability, that they will engage in some of these questions, that they will be able to um, 
gather information critically. There's enormous amounts of information available to them. Data is available in excess, if you wish. There's a way uh, different forms of information weighed the reliability of different kinds of sources. So that's under investigating the world. But we also would like for them to um, know how to take perspective, how to be empathetic with one another, how to understand that we hold a culture and others, you know, hold cultural pers cultured perspectives uh, as well. Um, understand that human beings are complex, that we cannot be reduced to the stereotype of being a member of a nation or a member of a gender community. Um, so I mentioned investigating the world, I mentioned taking perspective. There's two more capacities that matter in our view. Um, communicating across differences. So today, perhaps more than ever before, young people need to master different languages and have communicative capacities in different languages. But not only that, we also need to be able to communicate across religious beliefs, across cultural attitudes or cultural styles, um, across geographical orientations. I mean, we have a variety of ways in which we're different from one another and we need to be able to communicate across. And finally, taking action. So we think that it's very important that our educational systems, formally as well as informal educational systems, prepare us to participate in very thoughtful and informed ways um, to try to address some of uh, the issues that are uh, of enormous urgency uh, today, whether it is participating in sort of generating local gardens for sustainable food production, or whether it is participating in community organizations uh, in neighborhoods of you know, recent uh, migrants, or whether it is participating in uh, the development of solutions for problems that uh, seem to affect populations uh, far away. Um, thinking about serious and informed participation is very important today. So I would say that that's how we have been thinking about the importance of global competence and what it means. Do you have some, a program if you want, how do you implement this uh, for the teaching studies or, 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 or which phase are you in the pro process or uh, of, in this project? Are you, can you, how, how would you think of implementing this to the, to the teach, in teaching, uh, teaching school or te for teachers? Yeah, yeah so we're, we're working at various different levels. So um, with my colleagues at the Asia Society, um, we have um, produced a framework uh, this, you know, that, that contains these ideas. And this framework has been used um, at the national level within the Department of Education as uh, the framework that will guide the uh, policies around internationalization of American schooling. So that's at the policy level, which we're pretty uh, pleased about. But then there's a variety of research lines that we're embarking on to try to see how teachers develop their capacity to teach, to be more globally competent themselves as well as to teach. So for example, right now we're working um, in an action research project in the city of Portland in Maine. Um, Portland is a hub for refugee uh, communities and migrant uh, families 
Um, so it's a system that has moved from 6% international students or migrant students to 27% in less than a decade. So it's a very, very rapid change. So the question becomes, how does a teacher who's used to teaching kids who look like them and think <coughs> like them or so speak in the same language, um, how, how does a teacher prepare to engage uh, this difference? Um, so I've been working very, very closely with um, with teachers inviting them to change aspects of their practice. So for example, in order to open up the, um, in order to deepen their understanding of those students, we're inviting teachers to interview the students in depth. Some of the teachers are doing the parent-teacher conference, not in school, but as home visits, uh, in order to find ways to engage this community of migrant uh, families that um, would otherwise not be uh, engaged uh, in schools. And what we're looking at is we're looking at how teachers change their minds about the students, about the teaching, about the purpose of their teaching and their profession as the project moves forward. So it's a typical action research type of project by which we're tracking teacher development as well as the impact on student learning. Do you have reports already on this? Uh, we have a few. We have a few. This is a more or less recent uh, study, yes. but we have a few. We have a few sort of indicators of uh, sort of things that happen to us you know, as as adults when we embark in this in this program. One one that I think is very telling is the distinction between work and job and life as a citizen. Um, for several of the teachers, these plus other teachers that we have been working with, uh, what happens is that what they read for life as citizens, you know, the newspapers, the local newspapers, the national newspapers, uh, um, perhaps the Time magazine, which is something very common in the U.S., um, uh, if before they had a distinction between these kinds of readings and the kinds of readings that they do for their jobs, Nowadays, they blend these two forms of reading. So what they read in Time magazine about migration, what they need about the rise, they read about the rise of China, or what they read about you know, the crisis in, in Syria, becomes extremely relevant to the life that they experience in school and the relationship to the students with whom they interact. So it's an interesting shift in thinking where the blending of awareness of the world outside of school with awareness of the world inside of school sort of happens. That's, that's an important thing. We've also noticed teachers become considerably more curious about the world, more ready to ask questions. And part of the challenge for them uh, is to overcome the idea that a teacher needs to know it all. You know, so teachers who are willing to learn, teachers who feel that they have the right to learn, um, is again some of the shift in thinking that we are uh, that we're beginning to observe, and that's exciting to see. Uh, have, have you also been thinking how these uh, would affect the teacher training? These, 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 the, the research you do, the project. What, what, what are the skills of the teacher? Teacher uh, yes. Yeah. So I think that we need to do a few things that are a little bit new uh, with teachers. One, one is um, I think that we need, because global competence or global consciousness 
uh, is not something that you learn simply by reading. You know, you learn the habit of mind of becoming more globally aware is something that you absorb through reading as well as through culture. It's like mm -hmm. an enculturation into a new way of being in the world, if you wish. Right? It's less. It's not so much about what we have in our heads, but more how we stand in the world, if you wish. So that requires a different take on what needs to happen in a classroom, and thus a different take on how teachers can be prepared. So to give you an example, effective classrooms seem to be those in which there's a culture of global awareness or a culture of global competence in the classroom. So we find some teachers who have traveled, for example, or lived abroad, who have brought a collection of markers of this culture to create a culture that is slightly different in the classroom to be particularly effective. Whether it is because a teacher has spent quite some time in Japan and has a very gentle demeanor, has a very embodied sense of learning and sort of demonstrates that and allows kids to live that in this environment that he's creating. He has you know, routines that about, you know, the, the use of a gong to calm kids down, sort of attention to the level of stress that the kids bring, you know, which is very different from regular classrooms, mm -hmm. so to speak. So kids learn that in a way and to sort of an, at a gut level, if you wish, uh, that is different from the kind of learning. It's more comprehensive than the kind of learning that is only intellectual. So they learn to behave in this environment, in this classroom. So teaching teachers how to create certain kinds of cultures in the classroom is, is an important aspect of, uh, of this. Sometimes another sort of related aspect is the importance of preparing teachers to be more globally competent, which might involve travel, it might involve ongoing communications, uh, distance communications with other teachers. So you have, for example, at the university, the opportunity to work with teachers or with uh, professionals that are in very, very different places. So how can one capitalize on this opportunity and ensure that the differences, that the complementarities are visible? So how can you capitalize on the opportunity to putting in the same virtual classroom together a teacher who works in Somalia and a teacher who works here, a teacher who works in, in, in Rwanda and a teacher who works in Sweden to try to understand one another and learn from one another so that both teachers can take these stories back to their classrooms as a result. So it's a process of opening the teacher's mind and preparing the teacher to bring that open-mindedness to the classroom as well. Yes. Very interesting. Uh, uh, there is a word of uh, uh, entrepreneurship, which is uh, more introduced to the Swedish, as uh, I say, <coughs> discussion about schools. Mm -hmm. um, and you, you, you mentioned earlier about social entrepreneurship also uh, as, a, as a concept. Would you like to elaborate on, on, on that and, and the entrepreneurship and schools uh, and uh, how, how, what are your thoughts about it? Yeah, so I, I like the way, the word entrepreneurship has a variety of different connotations, right? So there are some connotations that have a lot to do with the market and sort of, you know, capital, you know, entrepreneurship in that sense, business entrepreneurship. Um, and there, uh, there are other connotations that emphasize the agency of the entrepreneur, you know, the 
possibility of creating something and sustaining sort of an enterprise, so to speak. I appreciate in the world of social entrepreneurship, particularly in sort of uh, Bill Drayton's, the director of Ashoka, creator of Ashoka um, um, uh, worldview, uh, if you wish, the blending of a deep sense of social responsibility with, if you wish, the efficiencies of uh, of a business uh, mind, you know, so that uh, enterprises can become sustainable, sort of on uh, on 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 all grounds. Um, I think that today, the Web 2.0 is generating among our young uh, people a very strong sense of agency. They produce knowledge, they participate in online communities, they blog, they tweet. What is not entirely clear is that we have helped them enough or that they are guiding themselves in the direction of tweeting and blogging being really relevant. I think that a framework of social entrepreneurship, a framework that invites young people to look at the consequences of their participation, to identify problems that they could commit their energies to, uh, identify potential consequences of their participation, looking at the deep causes of the problems that they study. Um, that the, I, I believe that that can energize young people and can, can capitalize on all of the energy that they bring and the desire to be agents of change and agents in their lives. Um, and give them some direction. I find young people today um, almost like um, like having an enormous amount of energy and not knowing what to do with it. So gaming takes over, and um, and and social networking for consumer purposes takes over, and and being cool takes over. Uh, whereas uh, all of this energy could be channeled into a much broader sense of consciousness about the world in which we live. And, and, and we need to trust that young people have the enormous capacity to make change happen. And we, we simply need to empower them, I believe, to, by, by giving them sort of a, a good sense of direction and a good sense of sort of the, the kinds of issues that are, that are most pressing, so to speak. I think that I know that you were interested in sort of the question of the role of higher education. We were talking a little bit about that before. And this is, I believe that with higher education, something we're experiencing something that's very similar to, in a way, to, to what pre-collegiate education is experiencing, which is we have become better at what um, Neil Postman calls the uh, engineering problem in education, which is how can we be more efficient or effective at delivering on our goals? So we have tons of research on how to teach better. What we don't have that much research on, and we don't have that much of a, a debate around, or we should have, and this is your invitation in this conversation, is the more metaphysical problem in education, which is why educate? And what is the purpose of what we're trying to do? And solving the metaphysical problem on education, sort of giving a purpose to our educational enterprises, cannot happen in isolation from the world in which we live and the societies in which we live. So giving a direction to our educational efforts requires, in my view, that we take the pulse of contemporary societies, try to envision possible futures, 
and um, and uh, align our efforts so that our youth can consider options, be critical about the world in which they live, um, and navigate it in a more sort of informed way, um, with an eye on what are the kinds of societies that we need? What is my role in these societies? How can I have a better life? Not just because I'm wealthier, but because I can really lead a life that is uh, overall more satisfactory. So I'd say that we have a big job to do <laughs> as educators in this area. Uh, thank you very much indeed. It was very interesting. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.